It's time to wake up. Welcome to the No Boring Stories podcast. You know that you can use storytelling to captivate your audience, clarify your message, and grow your business and impact like never before. That's why I'm here. Each episode bringing you transformative stories, expert storytellers, and my signature storytelling tools all to help you tell a better story. Because there's no such thing as boring stories, just boring storytellers. I'm your host, Alex Street, and I don't think that I've ever actually read The Velveteen Rabbit. Today on the show, we've got Dr. Aaron Hubbs. Aaron is a naturopathic doctor, a men's health expert and transformation coach. He takes us all through his story today, really starting with admitting himself into rehab as a teenager and taking us all the way through to uh, proverbial rock bottom just a few years ago and now trying to show up as an intentional husband and person in this world. The way that Aaron speaks, he just brings peace. You are going to find so much life in this episode and encouragement and courage to not just keep striving in this world, but find peace and allow this world to come to you to forgive what has happened to you and start forming a new future. Look, if something stands out in this episode, please share it on social media so that others can experience the same transformation you do. Don't forget to rate and review this on your podcast player because that helps a ton. And I know that you could be anywhere in the world right now, but you're choosing to engage with these not boring stories. And that means the world to me. So please enjoy this episode with Dr. Aaron Hubbs. Let's get into it. So this is the No Boring Stories podcast. Of course, I am Alex Street, and this is the place where we have no room for boring stories. There is not a boring story to be told here, and I'm sure that my guest today, Dr. Aaron Hubbs, will make sure of that, and uh, he will share his story. We're going to dive into it, and we're going to make uh, make clear how his story is really our all of our story. So let's get into it. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's a joy and a privilege. We have connected um, a little bit already and uh, had had a great conversation where it was like, hey, let's get to know each other. And then whoops, look at that. An hour and a half went by. Um, you're just you're that kind of person that it makes it really easy to um, to talk to. Mm. And I don't know what that is, but it's almost like you invite you invite stories to be told to you. You invite people to like open up about their story. Is that something that like you do intentionally or is that, do you even know that that's what you do? <laughs> I do know what that's what I do and it might be intentional when it needs to be, but I learned at a young age, I just have, there's some, I don't know what it is either. Some superpower yeah. that I've had since I was young and I've used that in my career to, to help me work with people. But, uh, uh, yeah, I just how does uh, that show up when you're young? Like, what young do you mean? Like, eight years old, six, 14? I was the kid mean? on the block. Kids would talk to about their problems. I was the guy on the soccer field. My buddies would come over and talk about the problems they were having at home or with their girlfriend. Yeah, I was just always that guy that could provide a container of sorts, a, a, a platform, or just some yeah. something that people f felt open to come and talk to me about. And and yeah. did you love that? Were you like, yeah, look, people are coming to me like, oh, I'm getting all the goods. Or were you like super respectful? Like, again, like as a you know young teen or whatever, what do you do when people just keep opening up to you? You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day and I've always had a level of 
respect for that. Um, mm. You know, I've, I've uh, always appreciated and I've, you know, back then I was kind of like the keeper of secrets. And yeah. as a doctor, I'm the keeper of people's secrets. People tell me things because they know it's sacred. They know that it's a binding contract, so to speak. But even at a young yeah. age, I think I just uh, respected that they were coming to me with some pretty um, personal and private information. And I've never been yeah. a one to blab it. I don't, uh, you know, go out there and share it with the other person or the next group I'm hanging out with. So, um, yeah. Did you, this is good. I love this. I love, we're already painting like a through line, <laughs> like the red thread through your life. You're like, oh yeah, I was always keeping secrets. And now as a doctor, that's what I do. That's what, that's what's going on. Um, and, and I just, I think that's so interesting because you think, I mean, I, I used to be a youth pastor. So I've got this great respect for young teens and teenagers and what they're really capable of. But we have this immediate like thought of like, ah, kids, kids will just do it. The kids don't think about respect. They don't think about all that. But of course, you're sitting there, you're like, wow, this is important. You have this like this sense that says this is important. What this person's doing right now is important, and I'm going to take care of that. Mm. You're doing that from like a young age. That is fascinating. I love it. And you said you're a doctor. Tell us a little bit more. What is it that you do now? Uh, well, now as I'm pivoting or what I did as a doctor clinically? Oh, well, let's go now. Yeah, now so I'm... I'm uh, uh, not to downplay any tragedies that COVID did for people or families, or whatever. For me, it was actually a lot of silver linings. And one of them opened up my mind uh, and, and the idea of taking what I do clinically to a broader, I wanted to make bigger impact. And so I've uh, converted what I'm doing into an online presence, uh, doing coaching, uh, mainly for men. Yeah. Um, I also like to work with couples and relationship stuff. And then I have a boys mentor program that I do, um, but I'm converting everything to an online uh, Zoom phone call um, so I can reach a, a broader uh, scope of people. And um, so, to what end? So you so you work specifically with men and and boys again, like males to yeah. to what end? What's the impact? What do you want to see or what do you see happen? Oh, God, a lot of things. So. When I think of men, and this will be something we can dive into to illustrate the, what this actually means to me, yeah, but great. there is um, a lot of men in my age group, maybe younger, I'm, I'll be 50 in November, that for whatever reason, we find ourselves needing to reinvent ourselves. And I think that I had to go through what I went through that was tragic, and I can talk about it now. Sometimes I might even laugh about some of the stories, but it was, yeah. it was very difficult. And so what I, uh, when I think of working with men, it's, it's at that level. It's like, re let's reinvent ourselves. Let's on a fitness, spiritual mindset, uh, financial. Like, like we're constantly on this reinvention or like, does somebody hit 35 and they're like, oh crap, here we go. Second so half parents, of life. parents, they've been married. They got married when they were, I think 18. They're right. They are almost, they've been married 58 years or something like that. They have always Crazy. said, you need to reinvent yourself every 10 years reinvent your job where does that come from that's just i like... have no idea but they it worked it's worked <laughs> for them and so they think that you know if we get stagnant if you get stuck in a rut that'll lead you down roads and they've kept their marriage fresh i can say as their son and i'm not they didn't pay me to say this amazing relationship my entire life they have reinvented they've had to navigate a lot of things yeah. uh and i think you reinvent your health you if your job maybe you need a new career 
um, you know, reinvent yourself as a human being. Um, you know, I can't do the workouts I did when I was 18. I had to, I had to modify and reinvent. So I think on all levels, um, but definitely somewhere in our forties, maybe in our fifties, that could happen, but that's that time frame from my perspective, when I look across the, the, the men that I see in my life and that are showing up mm -hmm. to work with me, that's the age group somewhere. And I was 45 and it's, that's yeah. the, uh, you know, proverbial midlife reset. Right, right, right. Well, that, that's what I was going to, I was going to go to. And, and are you familiar with, uh, with Richard Rohr? Sure. He's, he's, yeah. So, so he's got this book, um, falling upward and it's, uh, it's about the second half of life, right? It's about this first and second half. And then somewhere along the way, wherever that, that hits, there's this first and second half. And, and that, that shift is what we would call the midlife crisis or some reset, um, definitely not a crisis, right? It doesn't have to be a crisis by any means. It's this reinvention, it's this resetting. And he talks about really breaking out of climbing out of this box that you were familiar with and climbing into something else or just really climbing out and finding freedom and figuring out what do I do now with the wisdom that I've gained in my first 20, 30, 40 years what do I do with this? And it's really about turning around and finding this purpose to serve, to give, to share. And that seems like what it's like. Do you, do you agree with that? Like, is that a lot of the reinvention is like, it's not about me anymore. Well, I think when I was younger, my, my uh, ability was to listen. I'm a very good listener. And yeah. I think I, well, yeah. that I just, you know, somehow um, have that ability to hold space and listen. But as I've gotten older, you know, that wisdom you, you mentioned, now I feel like I actually have, if it's, if it's asked of me or, or appropriate to guide and to, to, to almost mentor and to, you know, kind of lead uh, men from where they're at to where they might want to go. And before I was just listening, holding space. And now I actually yeah. uh, can, can so you offer think that as, as a kid, you're listening as a teenager, you kind of growing up until whatever point it gets to where you turn that around to start to guide there's this story that I see here of like absorbing, like, yeah, I'll listen and I'll, I'll be here and I'll hold safe space. But, but again, really trying to figure out what is that? What, what is this as a skill? What is this? At, how is this transferable? How is this profitable? I don't know. Um, but you get to that point and I bet like, what were people saying you should do when you were a teenager or like young adult, like when people saw that gift in you, was there, were people suggesting? Be a therapist, be a counselor, psychiatrist, be some, you know, something yeah. like that. Some people have said more in the clergy. Some people say, wow, listening to you is like a sermon. I feel mm -hmm. like you're, you know, you're telling me things I need to listen to. And I did, I was a camp counselor and I just always, right. I liked being, uh, I don't know if this is going to come off the right way, but I liked being a role model. I liked being in a yeah. position to serve uh, as a role model for younger kids or my peers and not that I've always done it right. A lot of times I did it wrong, but I think, in the, and in that's a role model in itself of just showing some resilience uh, for when we do go down paths that aren't maybe what we thought they were going to be. Or... Oh, it's so interesting because you, like there's, there seems to be like, there's a bit of resistance as we get into this story, like, right? So what I'm, what I'm doing here is just clarifying. We're kind of just talking in general, but we're also continually bouncing back and forth, ping-ponging between this old you like who I was, and then coming back to how that like, 
how you're slightly different now. And you've drawn attention to that a lot of saying like, yeah, now I guide, then I just listened. And I would then slightly, I would say a lot differently. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah. So the transformation is, yeah. it's up to you to decide what, what that change is like, but there's this, um, I'm just, it, it's fantastic because you say, you know, it, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but I wanted to be a role model. And, and I think like, what do we need in this world? But, but more people who want to be role models, because if you want to be a role model, you will act how you want others to act. And I think, I mean, wherever this goes, but man, are there too many people who are not feeling like there's consequence for their actions or like somebody might follow in their footsteps. And maybe there's people who know that people will follow in their footsteps and they're acting nefariously on purpose just mm -hmm. for that. But we need more people who will consciously step up and say, I'm going to be a role model, especially to the, the generation younger than me. And what that will require of me is what you've gone through and what you've experienced and tried to develop all your life, right? Yep. So what did that require of you? What did that, what did that, as you stepped into that, you started to identify that and say, yeah, all right, this is what I'm going to, this is what I want to be. <laughs> what does that demand of you? Well, it's interesting. Let me rewind really quick to interject a story that I think will, will illustrate exactly who I am for some reason. So imagine I'm in, I'm in ninth grade and um, I was 15 years old and just started experimenting with drinking. I think I smoked pot a couple times. I, and I was hanging around some older, older uh, kids, older friends, older high schoolers and whatnot. And I was seeing what they were doing and I was seeing they were using alcohol or these substances to escape from their problems, mm -hmm. to suppress all of these issues. And I wasn't there yet, but I saw myself could be there someday. And it scared the bejesus out of me. So I'm a 15 year old. I sit yeah. my parents down, literally sit my parents down and tell them, you guys have been great. You're trying to help me out. I have a lot of emotional problems right now. I don't know what's going on with me. You're doing your best. But my friend had gone to this rehab treatment center. So I told my parents, I said, I don't want to become that person who uses drugs or alcohol in a, in a way that ruins my life, suppresses everything I'm going through. And I think I need help. So because of me sitting my parents down, my ninth grade, half of my ninth grade year, not quite half, but three or four months was in rehab. I asked to go and I didn't have a drug or alcohol problem, but I saw where I was going to go. So therefore my life completely <laughs> diverted. I've never had issues with drugs or alcohol, you know, and I mean, I missed my friends. I missed school. I missed all those things, but it changed my life. And I don't know why, what 15 year old sits their parents down and says, Hey, I think I might, I don't have a problem yet, but I might have a problem later. So, I mean that there's so many, there's, there's brain function that goes on there. Right. I mean, that's a developing, like that, the thing with teenagers is they can't see what's coming. They can't predict what's coming because the prefrontal cortex oh, isn't actually fully developed. Friends. I just, yeah, I saw something that scared me. And I saw me so and you them. see that. Yeah, that's it, right? It's that forethought. It's that it's but it's the ability to actually put yourself into that story is at what point did you recognize that this is an anomaly that I am? Like, was it when you're like, mom, dad, we need to sit down? 
and their jaws drop? Like, or was it 10 years later where you're like, that wasn't, oh, no. I've, that I've, wasn't I've, normal. <laughs> the joke was, so I'm adopted. I got, uh, I was adopted at a week old. So, you know, it's, and from that, the joke was always that I was born on a different planet. And I believe that because I've always, you know, I felt different because I looked different than my family. You know, there were some of those things, but mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just something that I, I vibed a little different. And I, you know, and I, I some, sometimes that was actually um, a hard thing for me and caused sure. me a lot of separation and a lot of um, not feeling like I belonged. I would be in groups of people. And, you know, so I had those feelings of not belonging. Well, you've got this this moment, this rehab moment in, in ninth grade that is a very real, like, storytelling image that, that paints the picture of how you felt separated, felt different from everybody, where you're like, look, I actually, I see myself going down that way, and I know that, like, I'll do that, and and I actually don't feel like, like, I don't want that to be to be me. Um, and I want to take control so that nobody else like there's and so you go to rehab, like you just picture like in a movie, right? There's almost they have to set up all these these images to show to fast forward the feelings, the emotions that are actually going on, because you can't always talk about what's going on inside the character's head. And I feel like that really paints a picture of you, what you're saying there, mm-hmm. not belonging, um, not knowing where you fit in. And so what do you do? you actually exclude yourself. You ask to be like physically, emotionally um, excluded from the norm for a bit. That's a great way to look at it. I hadn't thought of it like that. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I see the story. There might be somebody else who sees the clinical side of it, but that's what, what did, so what, what happens as you come back from that? Well, what came back is I, I, I had acquired these superpowers because every day we're doing therapy, we're talking about oh every little yeah. inch of our lives, every little thing that's ever, you know, so this was this was boot camp on a deep level, spiritually, psychologically, wow. emotionally. And some of the things I saw within that and some of the stories I heard from my peers, the people that are around my age, I mean, I couldn't believe that some of these kids were already involved with some of the things they were doing. Some of them are court ordered. They were, they were brought in by police to come to this treatment center. And so what came from that is I spent the rest of my high school days. um, I got the memo. I didn't party. I I paid attention, did decent enough in school, did all the sports, you know, it had normal things as like a teenager, but I, I, it was, it really set the tone for me. And I felt that I was, um, kind of in the zone and focused on my future, kind of got a grip on what I wanted to do in life. And, uh, what's that show? Scared straight. Is that where they, like they take I've kids to my juvie kids or something? Back. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that you volunteered for it. Like, excuse me. I I'd like to, uh, there's some, I mean, we can laugh about it, but there's, again, there's something so self-aware in that, that really does feel like an anomaly, especially for a 15 year old. But there's 40 year olds who are in that that wouldn't still wouldn't be able to have that self-awareness to say, if I do this, it's going to lead to that. You know, it's self-awareness. But Alex, also, there's this other side where I couldn't understand what was going on inside of me. Mm. You know, I think all boys that age, whether it's puberty, life, yeah. peer pressure, yeah. all the things, it's a very, you know, we're all feeling something. I just couldn't make sense of it. And here I am in this very loving, caring kind and gentle family and all all the things going for me and yet i just had this uh turmoil inside that i couldn't understand 
Yeah. And so that was also the driving forces. I really wanted to understand that and help heal some of that. And I saw my friend that had gone and come out and he came out a different, different person. And wow. so I, I kind of idolized that or saw that, okay, if he can do that, or that's what helped, that's how much it helped him. And yeah. I used him as an example when I was talking to my parents and just said, you know, I don't know if this is the right answer, but it seems like this might be helpful for me. <laughs> my goodness. I, I mean, let's and celebrate them for saying yes. And, and, you know, as you say, loving, kind, gracious home, obviously it is. How does that, so now again, ping pong, let's go forward in the story. And then I, and then I want to come to the middle and see kind of what, what happened, what shifted things for you. But you talk about, I don't know what's going on inside of me as a teenager. And this seems like a right choice, but I, it's a, it's a friggin' earthquake. Like it's just a, a, something that's messed up in there. It's a hurricane inside me. Um, and I can't make sense of it. So now you're like, you say you have a boys mentorship mm -hmm. program mm -hmm. and again, working with men, coming alongside men, what similarities do you see in the stories that you're hearing and how you're working with people now, whether it's a man or it's a teenager, um, compared to how you felt back then? Yeah. So a couple things, one of the things I've learned to recognize is some, for some reason I am an anomaly in that I asked for, I've always asked for help. And I see that a lot of the men I've worked with, that's a struggle. And so I, you know, yeah. and some of the teenagers that I work with is um, from the very get go, I say, this is a safe space. This is confidential. Anything you say to me, unless you and I talk about it, or it is something so uh, necessary for me to share mm -hmm. with your, your parents, um, it's, it's between you and I. And I also turn it the other way and say, I'm going to share some of my life stories with you. And I would ask that what I share with you is also confidential. And so that offers this, this interesting thing that I, I felt, you know, back then and in, in different counseling settings that I've had is just that kind of connection with another human being that I think a lot of boys and men, you know, mm -hmm. I couldn't talk to my parents this way. They were part of the problem. I and mean, even though they were great, wonderful people, but you know, at that age, they yeah. were part of the problem I was dealing with. And so I think that 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 um, stigma or inability for boys and men to ask for help is part of why I, I want to be there and I want to support, um, you know, that that pivot right there, that that crossroads where I can can offer that. And just the feeling of being lost. Teenagers, we feel lost and a lot of men my age, you know, um, I hear 60 year olds tell me that they don't feel whole. They don't, you know, they feel lost and they're in their sixties. What's, what is that loss? What's the lostness about? What are, where, what are they looking for and, and unable to find? Um, this particular one, it might be different for everyone. This one, he, he is not fulfilled in his job. He doesn't feel mm -hmm. like he's, uh, um, he's been happily married for 20 something years. So his marriage is, is feeling good. It's his, you know, second marriage and, and, um, but purpose, passion, yeah. um, health, and just this feeling of wholeness that um, he described of just, he's not at peace with himself. And I think the treatment center and, and on and on through my late teens, twenties is that's what I was able to gain is peace, a comfortable comfortableness within myself that I never yeah. had earlier. Um, you know, and so that was something that I uh, never took for granted. And it's interesting. And then in my forties, when I got my world rocked a little bit, I realized now that I'm, you know, three or four years out of, of kind of mending a lot of that. Now, even I thought I was comfortable with myself before just <laughs> now the, the way I show up within my own right. heart 
Well, and wow. this is the beauty of the story, right? So, so two thoughts on this. One, this is the, the universality of our stories where you're talking about going from, you know, lost to peaceful. And that's a story that a 16-year-old uh, guy, girl uh, is living right now, uh, wants to be on that journey, might find themselves lost and desperately wants peace. So how, can you bring them there? But it's also a story that a 60-year-old man can, fi can find himself in. Um, it's also a story that a 35-year-old woman could find. Whatever it, that, that, those words, those feelings are so universal, um, no matter what happens. And then the second thought I had was that you saying how, yeah, I experienced that kind of in my late teens and 20s, this shift, this transformation that showed up again 20 years later, we're like, whoa, the same transformation. I, I don't know what's going on. My world is rocked. I'm lost. And somehow through that, you found peace again. So that's the beauty of the story. Mm -hmm. I think when we lock in with like, oh, that's the transformation I've been in, you start to see it show up again and again and again. And it's not one time thing. It's just one consistent. Mm -hmm. It's not that it happened once. It's that it happened consistently through your story, right? Mine is from confused to clear constantly. That journey, even today, I'll tell you today, I felt confused and had a good coaching call and found more clarity after it. Like it's that, it's this constant transformation that we're on. Yeah. And here you are, I would say, I agree, I agree. You're an incredibly peaceful presence sitting on the other side of the Zoom call and this podcast. And I think our listeners would agree that you do start speaking. And I think that's probably to the clergy, you know, comment <laughs> is it sound you sound peaceful. Mm. You've discovered something. And if there's something that I think that spirituality and, and the great big story can bring us, may it be peace. And so if you can bring that simply by opening your mouth, my goodness, right. <laughs> doctor, give us more. Yeah, well, I appreciate those kind words. <laughs> If you're like me, you might be showing up consistently, but you still feel all the fears and frustration of public speaking. I used to hold myself back because of this, but now as I show up more authentically than ever, I'm making more impact than ever, and I wanna help you do the same. That's why I created the Fearless Speakers Academy membership, a safe space where you can not only identify the exact fears that are holding you back from showing up, but also work on all the greatest tips and tricks that I've learned over 30 years as a performer and 20 years as a public speaker to captivate any audience. So you can show up with confidence online, on video, on a podcast, or on stage, wherever you find yourself today to use your voice and stand out from the crowd. In this membership, you'll get two live group coaching calls from me every month, as well as ongoing support through the community and all kinds of worksheets, downloads, challenges, and bonus offers along the way. It's only $15 a month. And if you go to fearlessspeakersacademy.com slash no BS, then you'll even get the first two weeks free to give it a shot and see just how much value is in there. Again, after that, it's only $15 a month. I don't think there's a better deal on the planet. Go to fearlessspeakersacademy.com slash no BS so that you can face your fears, make speaking magical, and tell a better story. So what, if that's the universal story, 
that sort of, you know, from and to, that's the thing that anybody can find themselves in. But then you, you fill that in with, and you mentioned it, you know, when your world got rocked, that that's, there's these moments that tip the scales. I was this way, then this happened, now I'm this. What, you know, bring us in a little bit, however you want to any given moment, whatever it is to, um, what is it? What was the kind of the, the hinge moment, the turning point that really opened your eyes to see? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just lost. to briefly rewind to get there, 20s and 30s into my 40s, I had, you know, I'd set my GPS coordinate. I went through all the schooling, got the degrees, got through yeah. med school, married, had the kids. You know, my map was set. I was on the, I was on the course following the map. But what I didn't realize is there were times that my GPS, uh, internal GPS, whatever you want to call it, was saying, no, you need to veer left. And I stayed straight or I, I turned right. And what does look, that look like? I mean, very like, is that like, oh, you, this, this is a good job interview or good job. Oh, no, like, you should go over like, there. What does that look like? Um, my marriage was starting to grow distance. Okay. I was starting to be complacent. I was starting to, to, you know, things like that. I, I wasn't paying as close awareness to things because I was so focused maybe on other things that I, I failed to notice certain things that were obvious. But so I GPS, as you're saying, was saying, hey, hey, you should probably pay attention. Yeah, wait, to this. Maybe you should. Open up your eyes. You're not yeah. all right. Yeah. Book a date night, you know, this. And you're like, nah, that's fine. We'll, we'll get through it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, and I think a lot of married, a lot of people find themselves in that place where, um, you know, they may not even be aware of it or they are, but for whatever mm -hmm. reason, we just stay the course. We think, Oh, once our kids are grown or once this happens, once that happens. And so for me, and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tiptoe lightly through some of this because I, when I share stories about myself in these ways, I'm sharing stories about somebody else as yeah, well. Yeah. So obviously yeah. I have a lot of respect and honor for that, but a lot of um, what the, the symptoms of the illness showed up as a betrayal affairs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, distance, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. My, my um, clinical world and financial world was upheaval um, for different reasons. So I found myself uh, almost coming to out of this days that I was in and in, in this complacency that I was in into my early 40s and into, mm. you know, busy with the kids and just so much going on that I, I wasn't paying the attention. So when I woke up to the reality at 45, um, just having to deal with all of this hurt and my core wounds being adopted, it sounds cliche, but it's real rejection, abandonment, sure. yeah. those kind of things were coming full frontal into my world. Um, that there, so there was probably nine months of my 45th year, the darkest tunnel I've ever been in my life. And, mm. you know, for instance, you know, when my, I've never been an anxious person more than get up in front of public speaking. And I've been a musician my whole life. So getting up on stage or playing music, I get the butterflies, but I love that world. Yep. Oh, God, I love yes. it. When my patients would talk about anxiety, I knew what to ask. I knew what to write down on their chart notes or whatever, but I couldn't relate. So yeah. during this time, the worst anxiety I'd ever imagined, panic attacks. I could be talking to you or talk, the room would go dark, you know, that kind of oh. feeling. And now oh. I, I, I fully understand when people talk about panic attacks. Yeah fully understand that. And so I reached out to the people that I love and adore the most, my parents. And I said, you know me better than anybody. You know, I'm not um, one to do self-harm or go down those roads, but I need you to check on me every hour 
I'm in the darkest place you, you know, and they knew what was going on. They knew a lot of, obviously, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. so I had my mom, she called me about every hour for days and days and weeks and weeks just to check in, just so I knew somebody was there. What does that phone call sound like after the 27th time, 27th hour that she calls you? Like, is it, Hey, just checking in. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. All right. Bye. Uh, so my, what is it? So give a backdrop. So my, I was raised Catholic and I only say okay. that in the sense that my parents showed me uh, something I never understood until that you, that they took religion to it, this spiritual place that I'd never understood. The, so a lot of it was my mom calling and just praying. Yeah. Okay. Just right. offering prayer, just offering support. Um, you know, sometimes I would let it go and she'd leave a voicemail or she, you know, would text me or something, but it was, yeah. it was just those check-ins and they were, you know, they were really worried, but through that entire thing. And this is another anomaly for me is that I can, I can almost always sink into a place of gratitude. And I say that in the sense that, you know, when I would pray, I would say, this is the worst thing I'm going through, but mm -hmm. I know I'm going to be okay. I know mm -hmm. that I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. I knew there was one eventually. And so that kept me, I think, from going down roads that I could never return from. It would might be permanent or, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And so um, I, and I just thought something big is happening for me, even though this is terrible. I'm broke. I, I mean, I mean, there was. How do you believe that? When you're in that darkness, how, what, what is that? I just think it was instilled in me as a young person. I just think that the way that I, in my religion or my faith, my spirituality looks very different than my parents and probably different than most listeners or most people. And that's, it's personal to me, but there's something very strong in it. There's something very, yeah. um, that, you know, my mom used to say, you know, you're never given more than you can handle. And yeah. I just sit with that. And so for me, I mean, I, there were times I was in so much pain and misery. I didn't want to, I couldn't stand to take any more. And I thought, I can't go on like this. But I also have a phrase I say to myself, Aaron, this is, this is temporary. Everything mm. is temporary. And I still say that today when hard times come, you know, very few things are permanent. And so it's I, amazing you know, to use that sort of a phrase in, in sort of the, you know, the, the ahead and behind, right. Where it's see mm. if this is hurting, well, it's okay. It's temporary, but then also like, this is a beautiful moment. Well, guess what? Like it's fleeting. So you better love it. Like it's temporary. It's sort of the, um, you know, we, uh, as parents, we, uh, we throw around our phrase a lot. Like it won't be like this for long. And so we think about that. Like when our kids were toddlers, they're teething and you're like, again, come on. And we had just had to look at each other and say, it won't be like this for Sleep long. Deprivation. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But then now I've got, you know, my youngest is, I know our kids are close in age and there's this sort of like my youngest is nine and I just have to remind myself it won't be like this for long. And so like, how do I soak up those those snuggles and things, right? So it's, I love that this is temporary as one of those, I don't know, just reminders, mantras, whatever to really, and I think that's where the gratitude comes from. You're saying it's, it's actually, it is, it's an awareness that this moment is not here for long. It's actually not here anymore. That moment's gone. So here I am in the next moment. What am I going to do with this? And in that temporary state, I think that is, you, you can find gratitude. That must be it because, wow, I made it through that one. And I never, in, in onto like the idea of acceptance, I never really kind of understood what that means, you know, until I, um, there's this phrase that, that people say, and I, I, I used to say it all the time and I've added to it. It's, it is what it is. And so uh -huh. I kind of took this Buddhist uh, extension on that. 
Um, it is what it is, or it'd be different. And so I tell myself, you know, this is what's actually happening. If it were meant to be different, it would be different right now, but it's not. And this is what's happening. And so that's always helped me accept things in a different way than just yeah. say, well, I guess I got to accept this, you know, but if it were meant to be different, it'd be different. You know, that was actually, I mean, to go, yeah, to go right into that, that was the, the hardest time of my life was when my mom passed away. And, and that was it. That was something shifted when I started to, to think like that, to think like there's, well, I, there's nothing I can do about it. It's just, this is what it is. This is actually, this is part of life. It's not enjoyable, but this is what it is, uh, or it would be different. And, and in, it's, it is, it's tricky when people are praying for you and praying for healing. And you're sort of there going like, look, you can pray for whatever you want, but like, this is what it is. And I'm here and actually trying to be as present as possible in this moment, instead of wishing for something different. And I don't know what that is or where that shows up in your story in these moments that you're talking about, but. Um, I just want to stop and acknowledge. I love how you take things and you say you almost twist it or, or, or you show a different angle to look in. So you've done that several times already for me. Has <laughs> uh, taken something and seen, you know, help me see it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's good. I really appreciate it. Um, that's fun. I mean, let's, cause this is what I, uh, I received that. Thank you. Um, and, and what I want to draw attention to in the way that you just shared that, that part of your story is so incredible because you said, I want to be careful about this. Um, because I want to be sensitive because this involves, you know, somebody else and anything that I say, uh, you know, infers that somebody else was involved and, and may have done something or whatever. So, as you go into that, that's the thing. A lot of us are actually holding back on sharing significant parts of our stories because of that. Mm -hmm. We just had a conversation today, and that was a question, again, that comes up is like, look, yeah, but my story involves abuse from this person. How do I tell that story? Because I don't want that person to be now thrown under the bus. And, and the brilliance of this and what you did was you, you, you highlight this is what happened, but more importantly, this is how I felt through it. This is what I experienced. So your experience, you're, you are allowed to, to, you know, generate whatever feelings you want, whatever transformation, whatever story you want about that experience. And what you did, Aaron, was do that. You're like, all right, this is what happened. And this is how I felt. Now let's talk about that a little bit more. Because that thing is actually going to be, again, that's the moment that people relate to. That's the universal story, once again, is... Now, anybody listening who's found themselves in that darkness, in that dark tunnel, in that anxious place, in that panic attack, in that, that feeling of losing everything and not knowing where you belong again later in life, they're attaching to that. Whether they've had those marital problems that you've experienced or job issues, whatever it is that you've had or not, they can identify with the feelings and that, woo! And you know the, the, beautiful, the beautiful ending to all that story, and obviously there's... You know, my friends say I should sell my story to Netflix because it's where there are a lot of good chapters of the story. But I'm grateful that we have kids together because if we didn't, it would be one of these situations where I don't know if I'd ever need to see her again or, mm -hmm. or vice versa. She she has her own stories too around, around, around things too. Sure. This is, takes both of us. But because we have children together, it forced us to heal in a way that never, so I never would have appreciated what really happened, why it happened, 
because I never would have been given the opportunity to work through the pain. And yeah. so for the first year to two years after our divorce, her name wasn't her name in my phone because every time she called, I would get, uh, you know, that, that triggered feeling. I changed her name to forgiveness. So every time she called, I saw the word forgiveness. It made me take a deep breath. My kids were like, why is mom's name forgiveness? And I had, I had an opportunity to share with my kids what forgiveness is all about. And for me, that changed everything where it allowed me the space to feel the feels for a minute and feel okay with feeling the anger, resentment, all the things, not to change it and, and false positive uh, with it, but also to remind myself that one of the true gifts of life is forgiveness. You know, it's probably one of the hardest things. I call it the art of letting go. And it's mm -hmm. just, it's amazing what, when you, when you are forced or invited to take the time to truly forgive yourself and to forgive another person for whatever that interaction, that mm -hmm. situation was, oh, I mean, there's just nothing like it. And we are friends today. We have moved through stuff I never thought we would move through. And it's amazing that our kids get to see the resilience of our relationship is better than it mm -hmm. may ever been because it's a realness. There's something very authentic and real now amidst all the pain and the suffering that we both felt and caused and, and contributed to. But I still am just blessed that we got the chance to work through all that. And I, I get to feel what it feels like to let all that go and not hold resentment and the anger and Let's go again. This is so fabulous. And we are gonna we're gonna wrap this up a little bit here, but there's I mean, if somebody didn't catch that for some reason that's listening you you changed her name in your phone to forgiveness because when you'd see the name it would get it would make you feel something so you change it to become you change i just think of the power of that to change someone's name in your mind to how you want to see them or how you do see them i mean you could be working towards it so like you know, you change their name to love, you change their name to, to kindness, you change their name to, to hope, to, to dreamer, you, you change it, whatever, what would you change your kids' names to? Like, I'm just, this is just taking me on a ride here of like, man, this, you're actually, what you're doing in that is creating a new story around that person. It doesn't have to be the way that it is. You're shifting the character that you look at the Bible in the old, you know, in the, in the scriptures, it was like when somebody had a name change, that was actually an identity change. And I just think so much of what you just did in that little action is such a fabulously transferable action that many of us can take and need to take where you have a rocky relationship with someone. Just change the name a little bit. Right. And, and what I see also in this, again, connecting back in your story, Aaron, is how you learn forgiveness again you learn to forgive yourself very young you think of that the rehab thing is like okay so you go in there's a lot of like i don't know what's going on but i'm okay with it peace forgiveness um it's just an ongoing transformation. I love it. It's beautiful. You're right. Sell this to Netflix. Get it out there. All the bits and pieces. Um, Grab your popcorn. <laughs> I I am so grateful for this. And, and uh, you know, I promise that this wouldn't be a boring story. And we went all over the place. But as, as I say, I, I love how you frame things. 
how you uh, how you just vulnerably show up in this confidence, this peaceful confidence, and uh, so I'm grateful for that. I do want to draw attention, you know, in in the the form before this, I ask a few questions. One of them is like, "What's the three favorite? What are your three favorite stories?" And <laughs> before we wrap up here, I hear a couple final thoughts from you. I just want to, I just want to say the three that you told me, and I would love for you to comment on them. Can I do that? Okay. <laughs> so I said, "What are your three favorite stories?" And you said, "The Velveteen Rabbit," classic kids book. "The Alchemist," classic adult book, and "The Matrix." So, so what is the connection with me right now? <laughs> <laughs> They're probably so similar in their, you know, yeah. What's the connect? Yeah, what is it? What what do they each mean to you? I guess I still I have know. a copy um, of it, and it's just, and I think for me, it, it's it's the the quest about becoming real, and I think you know the Velveteen Rabbit obviously was the story of the you know the doll and missing eyes and all you know all the things, but it was the realness. Um, the alchemist on the search for treasures and on the search for so many different things yep. and what, what they, you know, discovered was something so much more valuable. And, uh, and then obviously the matrix. And I feel like, you know, that story is probably one of the most profound concepts to me mm-hmm. that I've taken since it came out and read the book and the movie and just really understood the, the feeling of being, thinking you're awake when you're asleep. And, and just the concept of, again, becoming real, becoming in the reality of the situation. And uh, yeah. I could go on and on about the matrix, yeah. but I think for me, it really, I don't know. I think it was just, a, it was an interesting take on the concept of what we think we are, what yeah. we uh, maybe think others see or that we're all, you know, moving around in this world. Um, it just really comes down to a different different thing than maybe we thought it was. And I know for me personally, that's definitely true in so So many different times of my life. Well, I mean, that's why it was so popular. Yes, it blew our minds with what they could do. But you're right, it's a story of actually waking up and um, I mean, reinvention, right? So I think, yeah, there's no doubt there's it's super clear to me why you connect with those after hearing your story today. going into this is i mean whether yeah it's this broken little stuffed animal that is feels lost rejected but hey is loved and you've got this out this guy who's on a journey a quest to find himself and find purpose and then you've got this guy who wakes up to a new reality um i, I just i need to call my therapist this week <laughs> i think i'm good <laughs> thanks alex <laughs> Oh, this is very, this, uh, very helpful. <laughs> this is so fun for me. And I think that more people need to like, just, just give it a shot, right? Just ask the question, like, hmm, what's the connection there? And, and play with it. Like, that's what we get the ability to do. And when you do, maybe some gold shows up like that. But um, well, that's also a gift you have. And when we had our call, and you, we talked around some things when we first had our interaction, I knew that yeah. about you. So Part of it is, yeah, just us uh, stepping forward and, and being in the moment. But you have a, you have an interesting gift that I want to keep acknowledging. And I think it's it's beautiful because you're starting to really know that about yourself. And I can see your own transformation in what you're bringing forth and the confidence that you're bringing with it is is palpable. It's visceral and it's noticed. And 
all of us in the mastermind or with you are noticing it and commend. I mean, it's cool. It's cool well, to witness. Again, I receive that. That is so good. So thanks for having me. I love this platform. And when I saw, I just wanted, I'll go, let me, all right, <laughs> Friday at one o'clock, that works. And I didn't know what we were going to do. I knew, I knew that it would be what it's become and I knew that it'd be all right. Well, here we go. I love it. I am. Uh, I'm so grateful for you and the story that you have lived. It sounds like a story of going from lost to peaceful uh, through reinvention. And um, uh, I mean, it's this, it's a story that you're owning, uh, and it's it's one that you are helping other people go through as well. And so, if people are looking, they're finding themselves in that place of where you were and and desiring, aspiring to have where you are. Uh, how can they connect with you? How can they find you and start a conversation about that? Yeah, I think the best, the two best ways still right now are Facebook and Instagram. Um, Aaron Hubs on Facebook and Dr. Aaron Hubs on Instagram. Uh, the website will be up soon and all that. But I um, connect to me on social media, follow me, but send me a DM. You know, interact. And I, I'm, I'm old fashioned and old school. I love good old fashioned phone calls. So I appreciate if anyone wants to just chat for. A little bit and, and see if we're a good fit if they are actually wanting to do some work um what if somebody call. wants to send you a postcard could they do that could they just like <laughs> you know what why not <laughs> okay don't don't give me your address on a handwritten here, letter <laughs> uh fantastic yes go start a conversation obviously it's easy talking to him um and if you got any questions don't be afraid um to start something up aaron i'm so grateful for you our friendship and your time today so great alex thanks a lot yeah we'll talk later all right take care thanks for listening this has been no boring stories i am alex street and we are just getting started i'd love to know what you thought of this conversation so please feel free to reach out to me on my website on instagram or in the fearless speakers academy and share your thoughts In the meantime, honor this conversation, go out in your life, and tell a better story today. We'll see you next time.